Welcome to episode 84 of the Historic Performance Podcast featuring Pat Byrne, world-renowned fatigue and sleep consultant. I want to thank Michael Macri for connecting the two of us last week. Um, after that, Pat and I had a fantastic conversation, and I definitely knew that I had to bring him on the podcast. And what resulted in today's podcast is perhaps one of the most profound conversations that I've had since I've started this. Uh, Pat really gets into the nitty-gritty of the importance of sleep, and he answers very basic questions such as why teams are interested in sleep, what technologies and systems are available out there, and are they reliable? What does the internal data processing system have to look like for a team, both to support player buy-in and to ensure that staff is not liable? Because as you will learn in the tail end of the podcast, there are legalities behind sleep data. Overall, a phenomenal conversation that I think many of you will enjoy, and I would greatly appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your network, because I think everyone will benefit from this podcast. So with all of that being said, let's get started with this amazing podcast with Pat Byrne. Welcome back to the Historic Performance Podcast. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Pat Byrne. Pat, how are you? Just great. Thank you. Pat, it's a pleasure to have you on. I know we had a phone conversation last week to briefly discuss the topics that we're going to be covering in today's podcast. And I think there's a good amount of stuff that we're going to be covering in terms of sleep, which is going to be very beneficial to uh, the listeners on the podcast. Yeah, looking forward to it. So Pat, to start us off, for anyone that may not know of you, um, could you just give us a little background about yourself and uh, a little bit about what you currently do? Sure, absolutely. My background is not in sports, and my background is not in sleep. Ironically, my background is in biochemistry, in actually occupational health and safety. And so I spent, you know, a few decades in Canada working trying to prevent occupational injuries and diseases in in workplaces. I, I came involved in sleep in kind of a bizarre way. And that is that my young nephew played uh, basketball against Steve Nash. And they played in a championship game against each other. And, uh, of course, Steve's team won. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for the listeners who don't know who Steve Nash is, he's a very famous two-time MVP NBA player. So after high school, Steve Nash went off to Santa Clara and became a very famous NBA player. And my nephew went off to a technical college and got a degree in uh, forestry. And... Uh, worked really long hours, very dedicated. And what happened was he fell asleep driving home from work one night and drove his car off a cliff and died. And so I got very involved in trying to figure out how sleep was affecting human performance. I, so I made a lot of connections. Um, I actually left my job with the government and started a consulting business in this field. Made a lot of connections in the U.S. military where most of the research was going on. And it took me several years to kind of figure out, the, kind of lay a line in what was going on. And what I've discovered was that Virtually everything we know about sleep and fatigue and athletic performance um, has been discovered in the last eight to 10 years. And so I, I got involved with this. I created a company at that time called Fatigue Science out of Honolulu. And um, we bought up a bunch of U.S. military technology and other systems to initially 
to try to prevent um, uh, workplace accidents from fatigue. And so I worked all over the world. I worked in Australia and China. I worked in Thailand, all over North America, Europe. And in fact, Caterpillar one of the, and Rio Tinto, two of the largest corporations in the world, started using the systems that we had developed in that field. And then what happened in 2008, because I live in uh, Vancouver, Canada, they had a change in the owner, not the ownership, but the change in the management at the Vancouver Canucks National Hockey League team. And they brought in a new guy named Mike Gillis, who is a new president general manager. And the very first thing he said was, I want to find a way to help our team with our travel. So being on the West Coast in Canada and traveling you know, basically eastward for the vast majority of your games creates huge stress on the players. And uh, the Canucks have historically had a terrible, terrible road record as a result of that. Uh, my little office was across the bridge from the hockey uh, stadium. A couple months after he was there, he phoned me up and said, I see this work you're doing in industry. He says, do you think that can apply to sports? And so I did a bit of research and I realized that actually nobody was actually doing any work in uh, sleep with professional sports. So I went to them and said, okay, here's what we're doing in industry to prevent injuries. And why don't we just give it a shot in sports? I don't know whether you know, the difference in fatigue is going to make a difference in performance, but let's just give it a shot. So that's how I started. And I uh, spent seven seasons with that team. And I worked in and ended up working in the National Football League, National Basketball Association, uh, Major League Baseball. I worked in Major League Soccer, worked for both the Canadian and U.S. men's national teams, worked in Australia, worked in the AFL, worked for the West Coast Eagles, worked in uh, um, uh, rugby with uh, Brisbane Broncos. Um, and a few other teams. And so I, basically I, what I did was adapt um, military technology to industry and then the industrial technology to sports. So that's how I got involved with it. And I'm currently sort of, I retired from my company a couple of years ago. I still do work with uh, mostly sports teams. I do a little bit of industrial work, but mostly sports teams as an, as an advisor to, um, to the teams and to management. Pat, the first question is going to be, Pretty broad question, but I think it's an important question to set the stage for the rest of the podcast. And it's why do teams want to measure sleep? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, James. And there's a lot of buzz about sleep in, in athletic performance. And so what's happened is teams have kind of run out there and go, we need to measure sleep, right? It's the latest thing. Let's just measure sleep. And they don't really know a how to do it and B, what to do with the data, even if they do it. So as I mentioned, because the whole, all of the science around sleep and, and fatigue and athletic performance is very new, the vast majority of uh, strength and conditioning coaches, trainers, even team doctors were never trained uh, about sleep in, in their formal training. As a matter of fact, most doctors in the Western world, I include Australia, North Canada, and US in this, and Europe, most of the doctors get one hour of sleep training in a four-year program. I mean, that seems shocking, and it is, um, but because it's so new, they have never incorporated that into, and they still have it, into the formal training. And I, I currently do a fair bit of work at Stanford University Medical School around um, sleep and um, associated issues. And I asked them, because Stanford was really where a lot of the sleep research started, I said, why don't you train your doctors? Like, what's going on here? And their answer is, look, in a four-year program, everything is set. We need to, the doctors need to know everything about the human body and, and diseases and the cures. 
So if we spend, instead of spending an hour, if we spend even a day or a week on sleep, what do we kick out? And so that's the real challenge moving forward is sort of, a, I think, a lack of understanding of, of uh, um, sleep and sleep issues amongst, amongst the teams. And so all the teams I've dealt with basically threw their hands up and said, we know sleep's an important issue. We just don't know how to deal with it. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of the kind of philosophy as well. We think sleep's important and we need to try to measure it, but we don't really know what to do about it. As you mentioned, kind of the, the research into this area is fairly new. And I would say really in, in the past few years, it seems that a lot of systems and technologies have come into place trying to fill this void of trying to collect data on sleep. What technologies and systems are available? Do they work? And beyond that, how can we really separate, you know, the hype behind sleep to the science behind sleep? Yeah, that's a great um, number of questions there, James. Um, so let's just back up a little bit and talk about sleep and how sleep affects the human body. Um, if you think about it, our, our, our brains are the probably the most important organ in our body. And so, um, it, you know, all our thoughts come from our brains, all of our imagination, you know, the, our brains control everything in our body. Some things are done automatically and some things are done uh, sort of semi-automatically. So, um, you know, if you get up and have breakfast in the morning, you don't have to tell your brain, oh, well, you know, we should put out some enzymes today to digest the food we just ate, right? The body just does what it, the brain does what it needs to do to, to, to keep you healthy. But there are some things that are sort of semi-automated and you think about it sort of like your heart rate, for example. There are ways to control your heart rate, but you can't, you can't control it down to zero. Um, and there's this old kind of kids game that everybody probably still plays, which is, you know, how long can I hold my breath for? And so for the most part, you don't need to think about whether you're breathing or you're, or you're not breathing. Your body does that for you. But we can play this game where we can try to hold our breath. But at some point, the brain kicks in and says, okay, I need oxygen. You're breathing. And so it's really more of an automated system where we have some limited control over that. And sleep is very much the same way. So we have some control over our sleep. We can decide whether to stay up you know, for hours and hours at a time and even for days at a time. But at some point, the brain goes, sorry, I need to shut down and then I need to, uh, I need, you need sleep and your brain will just shut down. So whether you're flying a plane or driving a car or sitting on the couch or lying in bed, it's your brain ultimately that decides whether you're going to sleep or not going to sleep. And and the way I look at it is is this way. It's a bit like, you know, if you go to you go to bed and go to sleep, it's a bit like having your car in a garage and having a whole bunch of mechanics coming in and 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 you know, changing the oil, putting up filling up the gas tank, um, you know, tuning up the, the the motor, you know, filling up the air in the tires and so that when you wake up after 8 hours, um, you're ready to go for the rest of the day. So the less sleep you get, which means these people have less time to get to get your the car ready to go, and you you know you pay a price for that. Um, and so you know whenever you're not sleeping long enough, or you're sleeping um, in the daytime when you really should be sleeping at night, um, you pay a price for it. And so there's a performance price, there's a health price, and there's a safety price. 
that people pay for it. So the sleep is, an, is a very critical brain function in terms of it cleans up your brain, files um, the data in terms of learning. It files everything you've learned during the day and into places they can find again. There's a lot of um, enzymes and hormones that are put out during the night that help repair your body. So it's a critical function to make your body healthier and to make you perform better. And so I think teams want to figure out how to get players uh, good sleep. The problem is, is that the technology hasn't caught up with the science in the sense that we know that sleep is a critical function, but how you measure sleep and how you measure performance is lagging. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, the, the way you really measure sleep is with um, uh, brain waves. It's called, uh, the technology is called polysomnography, which is PSG. And you go to a hospital bed and they put electrodes all over your head and your body and you sleep in this bed and they can tell from your brain waves whether you're asleep or whether you're awake. Um, and that has no practical purpose whatsoever in sports, but it's used to diagnose uh, sleep disorders. Um, and so what grew up with that technology was a system developed by Daniel Kripke at University of California in San Diego in the mid-70s called actigraphy, and it's now called kind of sleep watches or, or wearables. And so that was developed, and as technology changed, that system changed. And what that, that those so-called sleep watches measure isn't sleep at all. What they measure is whether it's likely you're awake or likely you're asleep. That's all it can tell. So it's based on wrist motion. And so it's like a three-axis accelerometer on your wrist, in much like your iPhone or you know your phone. And, and so it, the theory is that if you're moving around, uh, you're not sleeping well. And so what they've done over the years is try to correlate that technology with polysomnography. So they put these sleep watches on uh, patients. And so they sleep overnight in a hospital bed with all the electrodes on them. And they can tell exactly when they're awake and when they're asleep. And then with the sleep watches, they put the sleep watches on at the same time. And then they correlate the data. And what they found was the really good sleep watches are about 93, 94% accurate in terms of figuring out whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. So it doesn't tell you anything about your sleep quality right? It only tells, we think you're awake, we think you're asleep. Um, so those are called, um, I call them medical grade actigraphs and been used in sleep research for, you know, for many years now. But what happened about five, six years ago is this sort of explosion of consumer grade actigraphs. So we have the Fitbits, we have the Whoop, we have uh, Jawbone, there's a whole litany of this technology where they're saying, yeah, we can measure your sleep and we can tell you whether you're in REM sleep, we can tell you, you know, how much deep sleep you're getting. All of that is complete garbage, um, to be blunt. <laughs> um, none of that technology, if you look on their website, you look in the, the scientific literature, none of that technology has ever been validated against polysomnography. And it's a bit shocking, but, you know, even, even uh, Fitbit is under class action lawsuit uh, in, nationally in the United States because um, they're saying that the client, that they're claiming that it measures sleep and it's accurate, and in fact it doesn't. They have no data whatsoever. Neither do any of the other uh, consumer products to actually show that it can actually measure sleep. And so what happens is because they're, they're cheap, and what happens is teams, uh, the salespeople will come to teams and say, here, try our product. It's great. It's cheap. It's free. And, and so some people will say, you know, so what's the harm, even if it doesn't work that well? Well, here's the harm. 
The harm is that if players think they're sleeping well and they're not, because they may have a sleep disorder, then it's not helping the player. And the other harm is that it may tell a player they think they're not sleeping well, when in fact they are. And so you create this anxiety amongst players about their sleep when they don't need to have that. And so it's really kind of terrible, terrible technology to uh, to help measure sleep. And as I said, I think that the issue is teams are really interested in measuring sleep and the players are really interested in in their sleep. Um, but the technology just isn't there yet to to provide enough accurate information and make that very useful. Um, that said, a lot of teams are, are are using it, and and I think they need to be very careful about what they use, what they do with the data. Pat, I'm going to say that painted a pretty bleak picture when it comes to uh, consumer grade wearable technology to monitor sleep. Um, I know that you mentioned a couple of them that are absolute garbage um, the way that you mentioned it, but are there any technologies or systems currently out there that you would find reliable enough to use with teams? There are a few, and here's the test that I use for all technologies, whether it's sleep technology or other, is has it, has it been independently scientifically validated? And so there are a few technologies out there around sleep that have been in the U.S., FDA and in Canada, Health Canada approved. So they have looked at independent testing and said, yes, this will measure sleep. Um, actually, what they say is it'll, it'll tell you when they're likely awake and when they're likely asleep. It doesn't tell you anything about the quality of sleep. And there, there is virtually no technology out there that can tell you, aside from polysomnography, that can tell you the quality of players' sleep. So I've seen data from uh, polysomnography validation studies that if you look at the, the data from the watches, somebody looks like a perfectly normal sleeper when in fact they could have a very serious sleep disorder. And so it's a question of the, the whole technology is new and it's in its infancy and you need to be very careful about how you apply, how you interpret and apply the data. So whether you're talking about sleep technology or any other technology you use in sports, you need to ask the question is, where's the independent validation, scientific validation for this for this technology? And in sleep, for the vast majority of products, it just isn't there. Pat, I just want to expand upon that a bit more. So you mentioned that there are some products out there that have been independently studied. Would you be able to mention those products on the podcast? I, I can. I mean, I do. I, full disclosure, the company that I founded in 2007, we created the very first FDA-approved sleep and fatigue technology. And we purposely, and I'm, I'm not associated with the company anymore, but we purposely did not sell it to consumers because we knew they didn't know what to do with the data. The company was called Fatigue Science. They're still in existence. And as far as I know, they're still the only only product that is independently scientifically validated and approved by the FDA. But even, even that technology um, has has limitations in terms of you, the technology doesn't help players sleep. All it does is provide information to the team and provide information to the players about the duration of their potential sleep. It doesn't tell them anything about uh, the quality of their sleep. The technology just isn't there yet. Pat, if you're on a team and you're using fatigue science, for example, to try to gauge sleep duration, is there any way that you can go beyond that and try to gauge what the sleep quality is for that specific player? Not really. I mean, not in the not in the current the current technology. And I'm probably getting ahead of ourselves here, but there are really three reasons why players don't get the quality of sleep that they get 
and 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 I think the main reason um, is to do with uh, biological sleep disorders. So if you're looking, um, and I've seen some recent studies that say as much as 20 to 25 percent of professional athletes have some form of sleep disorder, which is very which is very typical of of the Western population. And so you can put a sleep watch on a player and say, you know what, you're only we think you're only sleeping six hours a night, but it doesn't tell them why. So you don't know if it's a lifestyle issue. Um, you know, you don't know um, if it's a decision the player made. You don't know if it's a decision the team made in terms of getting the player up early. And you don't know whether it's a, a sleep disorder. And I mean that in, in a really kind of a broader sense because sleep is a, a very complex process. And so there are a number of thing, biological things that affect your sleep. One is the, the one of 90 or 100 different sleep disorders. The other is mental disorders, and I don't mean that in a negative way, everything from, you know, even mild depression, um, also organic diseases, you know, injuries, and any pharmaceuticals that the players are taking. So all of those things together create a challenge So for the team and the players. So you can say, well, according to the sleep watch we put on you, we think you're only sleeping for six hours, but what do you do about it? You need to dig down, drill down, further. And so that's the kind of system and technology that that I'm challenged with and uh, that excites me. And that's why I've actually started um, doing some work with Stanford University Medical School, where they actually have an artificial intelligence computer program that can diagnose um, the complete player. So they can diagnose sleep disorders, they can diagnose mental disorders, they can diagnose organic disease, and they can and they can look at all the pharmaceuticals, recreational, um, over the counter or or prescription drugs you're taking, and show a holistic view of why you're not sleeping well. So that's kind of I think the future for sports. It's it, it won't even be available probably till the fall of this year. It's amazing technology. It's been used in, a whole, in the last 10 years in a whole pile of other sort of different circumstances, particularly epidemiological studies and others. But for, for me, that's it, it, the only real way to, to get at the issue with individual players, because sleep is a very individual thing. And, and I think most teams right now are taking a very overly simplistic view of the whole process. That said, I think there are some things that the teams can learn a lot about using actigraphy, sleep watches, um, for their whole team. If you don't mind, I can kind of relate a story of how we used it with um, with the Vancouver Canucks for, for many years. So all the players sleep for different periods of time and at different times. But what we were able to do using that technology was to create what we call a team sleep profile. So we were able to tell the team, look, you know, this is how long on average it takes your players to get to sleep after games and how long it takes them to get to sleep after practices. And so we created this profile that said, OK, you know, your players on average are going to sleep at midnight and they're getting up on average at seven o'clock in the morning on home games and, you know, versus day game, uh, away games. And then we took that technology and applied it to their schedule, their travel schedule. So in the National Hockey League, they play 82 games, 41 games at home and 41 games on the road. And so we applied that technology, looked at their schedule and said, okay, now we can tell which games the players aren't going to get enough sleep because of the way you travel. And the way we did that was we got a license to use uh, U.S. Air Force 
technology that they use to keep their fighter pilots alert. So it's called the Fatigue Avoidance Scheduling Tool, which is a U.S. Air Force technology, and we got access to it. And so they use that for long-haul bomber pilots and for fighter pilots, and they basically put in their sleep data, and it'll tell them at any point in time how fatigued they are and how that's affected their reaction time. It's very amazing technology that's now actually used by every airline in North America. And so what we did was we took the the aggregated sleep data for the team and put it into that software. And then we said, okay, you know, of your 41 away games, here's 12 or 13 games that we think you're going to have difficulty with because of how your players sleep and, and how you travel. So how do we go about, now that you have that information, how do you go about fixing the problem. And so we would do things like, for example, the Vancouver Canucks would, because they're on the West Coast, they used to go on road trips and um, for sometimes two weeks at a time and play back-to-back games. And they'd end, often end in New York or somewhere in the East Coast. And because they'd been away for two weeks, they wanted to get home. So they would fly back after an evening game to Vancouver and get in at four or five o'clock in the morning. And we could tell from that software that it would take them three or four days to recover from that sleep loss. And so what we said to the team was, look, if you have a game within that window, you shouldn't, you need to stay in New York and get your sleep and travel the next day. And it took two or three years to convince the team and the players to actually make those kinds of changes. And then they went from having one of the worst road records in the National Hockey League to winning back-to-back what's called President's Trophies in the National Hockey League, which is the, the the most winning record of any team. But they also led the league in road wins, which is unheard of for a West Coast team. And it wasn't that the technology was doing anything miraculous. It was just good data applied to the team so that the management could make smarter decisions. And so I think that's the that's the real advantage of trying to use this kind of sleep technology is trying to build a database to really understand how your team sleeps so that you can make smarter decisions for them. Pat, I just want to backtrack to the very beginning of your answer where I think you mentioned um, there's three main areas or factors that should be considered when you're looking at the way sleep impacts athletes. Um, And I know you said that most teams focus on sleep hygiene, but can you just expand upon, you know, those three factors and just really flush it out? Sure. So the three factors really are one, the decisions that the player gets to make. So that's where they sleep, the environment they sleep in, you know, aside from hotels, um, uh, you know, whether, you know, they stay out late at night or whether they party or whether they have children at home. So there are decisions that the player gets to make. Then there are decisions that the team gets to make and the league gets to make, which is when they travel, when the games are scheduled, when practices are scheduled, um, when they have team meetings. And so those are out of the control of the players. And then there's simple biology, which is uh, sleep disorders, mental disorders, organic diseases, the, the, the drugs that players may or may not be taking. All of all of those three major factors affect the, the, the player's sleep and affects their performance on the on the pitch or the field, wherever they're or on the hockey rink, wherever they're playing. It affects their performance. The vast majority of uh, sleep programs in professional sports only address 
what's called sleep hygiene, which is convincing the players they need to get more sleep and really looking at it as a sort of player centric issue. So the players need to make better decisions. They need to sleep in a better environment. They need to make better decisions about whether they go out late at night. That's part of it, but it's only a third of it. Virtually none of the teams in their programs deal with sleep disorders. They don't have sleep disorder screening programs. They don't deal with mental health issues. And I've dealt with personally with a number of players um, who've had sleep issues and mental health issues, one of whom unfortunately committed suicide, actually, as a member of the team. And and so, you know, athletes aren't immune to all the diseases that that other people get. And so they don't look at that. Teams tend to ignore that. And, and uh, the teams tend to ignore also issues around when they uh, call meetings and when they travel and when they uh, schedule games. It varies league to league. But I know um, in the National Hockey League, when I was working with the Canucks, they um, when they used to go on road trips, the, the league used to have them bouncing from the West Coast to the Central Division. They were bouncing all over the U.S. and then coming back to Vancouver. And what we were able to show the league through the data was that that was severely hurting the team. And so now if you look at their schedule, when they go on the road, they go to one time zone play all their games in one time zone and come back to Vancouver. So that helps alleviate part of that issue for them. And so there are a lot of things that teams can learn about the, their players' sleep and and and, to, and get feedback to the leagues to actually kind of create better opportunities for them. In the NCAA, for example, in particularly uh, Division One football, teams are not allowed to stay over in a city after they play a game. They have to travel back that night. And I, I, I've asked about the reason for that. And I, I'm told that the reason is they don't want them to stay there because there's too much partying and too much uh, team rivalry and too many fights might be going on. I, I don't know what the real reason is, but that that creates issues for some teams. They have to fly back. The players get in late at night. And then they have to school the next day or the team will schedule meetings the next day. And so it creates a lot of difficult problems for the players because the teams tend not to pay much attention to how they schedule the the players. I've worked with several National Football League teams, some very high level, even Super Bowl champions, where they would come off a Sunday night game, fly back to their city, and other players get up at 6 a.m. the next morning for meetings. I'm going, why are you doing that? The players are not getting, even doing the simple math that you get in at midnight or one o'clock in the morning and the players have to go home, they have to get to sleep. And then they have to get up probably five five thirty to get to the stadium by six. So why 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 would you do that? Like, what's the hurry? And so I like I think a lot of teams just don't think about those issues. And so those are the really the the three issues that when I work with teams, I try to get them to focus on. And so what you know what are the decisions that the teams make that they could make better? What are the decisions they make around helping players with? Um, sleep disorders and, and mental disorders and organic diseases. And and what are the decisions we make around around sleep hygiene? You know, for example, in the National Hockey League, for many, many years, the um, the players all slept, all had roommates when they went on the road. So we'd have two beds in a room and they'd have two players. And that's pretty common in a lot of leagues. The problem is that a lot of the players have sleep issues. And so they'll snore, they'll keep their, their roommates awake at night. And there's some pretty famous stories about players that were kept up all night before, you know, Super Bowl game. And so, you know, this is not something that teams actually think about very much. And, you know, there's stories of football players going to sleep in the bathtub with earplugs in, try to 
get away from their roommate. And so the National Hockey League actually changed that system a number of years ago. And what they did was they said, okay, the, the young players now, everybody gets their own room. And the downside, of course, from that, was that now the young guys can sneak out at night and go partying and they don't have somebody there to, to keep an eye on them. So there are always sort of good and bad things about I do that. I emphasize to teams is to, you know, try to make smarter decisions around uh, around sleep and how you kind of manage these issues and really try to understand the complexity of the decisions that the players are are having to deal with. Pat, I'm I'm really glad that we went back to that and you pointed out some of the some of the issues that I think that get overlooked when we think about sleep and cuz uh, typically I would even say as a performance coach myself, I always think about how very player centric and uh even I know performance coaches and other organizations they they focus on the player not necessarily and how the larger picture could be impacted. So I thought that was very profound right there. So I actually now want to go over to some series of questions that, again, perhaps have not really been thought about. Um, but one of them that comes quite often from other performance coaches is, okay, we got in fatigue science, we have nine or 10 wristwatches, but we're having trouble with player buy-in because players don't want to be wearing this wristwatches and for us to know you know, whether they're going out at night or um, what their sleep duration looks like. And I know you've worked with tons of teams and across different leagues. So when it comes to um, collecting this data and to people who should have access to it, um, how have you gone about improving player buy-in into wearing these wearables and also, in your opinion, you know, who should have access to it and why? Yeah, great, great question, James. Uh, look, here's you're absolutely right. I mean, when, the, the problem with performance coaches and others are used to collecting data at the team practice facility or the training center. You know, when you look at VO2 max, you look at you know, all that's kind of open data for the whole team to know. Sleep data is a bit, bit different because it crosses over into the players' private lives. And so there's some inferences that can be made that says, you know what, it looks like this guy didn't go to sleep till three o'clock in the morning so you know maybe he's out partying and if the coach knows about it maybe he's not going to play the player you know there's and there's some sort of cynical ways to kind of look at the data part of it is a the data isn't particularly all that accurate to begin with but the way i've tried to um, resolve that is in, when i st first started working um in Pro Sports in 2008 with the Vancouver Canucks, we had a deal with the front office and the coaching staff and the players that the only person that would see the data was myself and the individual player. And if we needed to bring in a doctor, the team doctor. And my view of it is this, look, players are professional athletes. It's their lives. It's their careers. My I saw my job as saying to the player, look, let's sit down and talk about why you didn't get to sleep till three o'clock in the morning on Saturday. What's going on? You know, and if it's a personal issue, they're out partying. I'm, I'm, I can point to them and say, look, this is how it's going to affect your your performance. This is how it's going to affect your career. But it's your choice. You get to make those choices. I'm not going to tell the team anything, but my job is to try to convince you to do something better. And sometimes I was successful and sometimes I wasn't. But I can tell you in all of the years I worked in pro sports that the vast majority best players on the teams were the best sleepers on the teams. And I don't think that's any any coincidence because I think the, the players, the best players on most teams are the committed players 
they're not only talented, but they're committed. They're committed to their workouts. They're committed to practices. They're committed to their lifestyle. And sleep it just fits nicely into that category. So they, they care about it. And players that are just trying to wing it and they try to wing their sleep, they just don't last very long in in, in the leagues. Um, so that's how I've tried to deal with it. I've tried to say, and in, in, in uh, as you know, my business expanded, I, I sat down with the teams and said, you need to pick one person in your organization who's get who gets access to this data and the coaches cannot know about it there's no reason for the coach to know the data and so that we've had i've had very very good success on player buy-in i'll give you a quick example of that was um when we first got introduced with the uh, seattle mariners uh baseball team they invited me into the dressing room they were all in their uniforms getting ready to play a game and i, I talked about the importance of sleep in in about you know wearing the 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 you know the sleep watches and and who gets access to the data and what we can do to help them and and the the assistant general manager was in there and the coaches were in there and they said look this is completely voluntary you don't have to do this and so i'd only brought like 12 watches with me and the trainer said okay when the game's over if you, you want to wear this, come to my office, I'll hand them out. And I started driving back to Vancouver, which is about a couple hour drive. Just as I was getting home, my phone was ringing and there was a trainer on the phone saying, um, every player on the team, including all the backup guys and the, and the backup pitchers are all lined up outside my office. I need another 20 watches. And it's because the players are interested in their sleep. Players, for the most part, are interested in being better athletes. They just don't want the coaches to know. They don't want the people outside of a very small group within the organization to get access to the data. And there's ways to manage that. The problem with today's sort of consumer wearables is that become open source data and everybody gets to kind of see it and know about it. Which really goes to the second part of your question was, who gets access to the data and who should get access to this data? Now, I'm not a lawyer. My daughter actually wrote, <laughs> she's a senior managing editor for the Sports Lawyers Journal in the U.S. and actually wrote a very good article, which I'll, I'll, I'll make available to anybody who wants to read it, which has to do with the legal aspects of in, in the U.S. of dealing with this sorts of data around sleep because there are federal laws that impact who gets access to the data. There are state and local laws that that, that deal with who gets access to this sort of health data and there the collective bargaining agreements about who gets access to the data and there are civil loss there are civil um, issues in terms of civil liability there are there is lawsuits that are going on right now where data was released about a player who had a wrist injury um, and it affected his contract negotiations and he lost millions and millions of dollars in his contract negotiations when that data should have never been made public. And so there's a, because sleep is new and the science is new and the technology is new, teams and players and coaches and, and uh, trainers and sleep and conditioning coaches need to pay a lot of attention about who collects the data and who has access to it. And, and that's a very, very important issue. Pat, I'm, I'm great. I'm really grateful that you mentioned the legality aspect of it, even though that you're not a lawyer. I know that you sent me over that legal brief that your daughter had worked on, and I found it to be very interesting. So I really hope that the listeners um, that are involved in professional sport uh, reach out to you. Uh, you know, um, you know, James, you have a copy of it and a PDF. You're welcome to circulate that uh, to your listeners if they want to read it. I'm I'm okay with that. I know my daughter's okay with that, as long as you um, give her um, her you know her email or whatever, and people can contact her if they need to. 
she's actually cur- just, just as, as an aside, she's currently working with the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans um, yeah, in in uh, that part of the world. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so feel free to, to circulate that. It's it's a it's a uh, a really good document. I think that teams can uh, it'll form a basis of a good discussion amongst the organization about uh, about what their local rules are around how to manage that data. Pat, I think you touched upon this next question a little bit when you're talking about what's going on at Stanford University and the implications that it can have. But you also mentioned that sleep research is relatively new. A lot of what we have learned has just been found out in the past seven to 10 years. So what really needs to be expanded upon in terms of sleep research and performance? Because it seems that we're really kind of at the tip of the iceberg and there's a lot more that need that needs to be discovered. Sure. Great. Yeah. No. And, and unfortunately, I think a, a lot of the research that goes on around sleep and athletic performance really is, is sort of sports centric. And so you'll get a group of researchers to go, you know what? We, we studied the, 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 you know, the bicycle racers in, in the UK. And if they're only sleeping six hours instead of eight hours, they're not performing as well. And then you get the same in, you know, in the AFL or you get the same in the NBA. My view is, you know what, there's nothing, nothing good comes of not sleeping well. And if you're not sleeping well and you're not sleeping long enough, there is a, a, a performance price you pay for it. And it doesn't matter if they spend, they go from sport to sport to sport to tell you exactly the same thing. The future, I think, that would really help athletes is to say, okay, we assume that if we're not sleeping well, that is going to affect our performance. So now what do we do about it? How do we discover what's the real cause? What's the core cause of us not sleeping well? Is it, as I said, is it is it the, te- the decisions that teams are making in, in, in terms of not creating the proper sleep opportunity for the players? Is it because the player is not making smarter decisions about their own life? Is it because the player may have mental disorder? And, and people shouldn't be surprised that as many as, you know, 20, 25% of the adult population in the Western world have some form of mental um, disorder. And it, whether it's mild depression or anxiety or whatever it is. And so all of those things impact your sleep. And so I think the future is not so much about saying which sport and which activities are, re, uh, are affected by sleep. They're all affected by sleep. I think the future is to say, okay, how do we ease out what's going on with an individual player and provide targeted solutions to really help that athlete? And that's what really excites me about the the Stanford University um, artificial intelligence system is it does that for you. I mean, literally, a player can get on the internet or on their smartphone, and in 30 to 60 minutes, they would have a complete medical profile of their sleep and 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 what what's actually going on whether it's a lifestyle issue whether it's a sleep disorder whether it's a mental disorder whether it's a combination of things whether it's organic disease and so it really is good to tease that out and i think that's kind of where ultimately sports is headed but that's um, i think light years ahead of where teams are right now teams are still trying to convince their coaches that sleep's important <laughs> and um and so you know it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a step process and it's kind of hard to go you know from to running to you know to to running a marathon you know there's this whole process in between and so i think 
the real process is convincing athletes and, and, and the team that sleep is important. And the second is trying to create data for the team so that they can make smarter decisions about how, how they schedule um, their players and talk to players about things like sleep hygiene and, and to really tease out and give them the support they need to get the sleep they need. Pat, the final question that I have for this podcast, you mentioned very early on in the podcast that even doctors get about one hour um, worth of education when it comes to sleep. And for performance coaches, they haven't really learned it and within their formal education process because of how new the research is. So for performance coaches or athletic trainers or anyone that is involved with the safety and performance side uh, with athletes, even coaching staff themselves or front office, if they want to educate themselves about sleep, what are some resources that you'd recommend? Boy, that's it's it's still tough. I mean, quite frankly, there are there's some good information out there. I mean, you can Google anything and you can you can get tons of information out there on, on just about any topic you want. I've actually been thinking about this for quite a while. I've been actually working on a book for the last three years. Hopefully it'll be out in the next couple of months that I'll cover off a lot of the topics I've talked about here. But, you know, I would encourage people to go to, or, to websites like the National Sleep Foundation and to, uh, you know, there's some very, not necessarily athletic centric, but it's really sleep centric. And it really helps you focus um, the issues around sleep and issues around sleep hygiene. There are um, there are some articles that are out there that are pretty good. I know the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport, particularly people like Shona Hulson and others are really good um, at this. Sherry Ma at Stanford, um, she's actually left Stanford. She did a lot of research there. Um, she's just a, a sleep doc now in San Francisco. All of these people, it's a small community. We're all friends. But, you know, if you go to those people or you go to their websites, um, you know, you'll see um, a, a lot of this kind of growing body of, of research and, and data around that. Um, and it's, it's, not an, it's not an easy process because it's, 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 it's new, right? And, and people are just are learning learning about it but i would go if you want to learn about sleep itself i'd go to the national uh, sleep foundation go to their website and if you want to know particularly around um how sleep affects athletic performance i would i would go to the ais website um in australia they do they do amazing research i've always been i've worked a fair bit in australia and always been amazed about how um and in the uk as well about you know how both of those areas really have focused in on on uh, sleep and sleep science, um, and they've done a very good job. And I always kind of wondered why that is, and I think it's because of the uh, their universities actually do research and teach in that area, where North America is just trying to catch up in that area. I always say that whether you're dealing with sleep and 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 uh, you know work performance and work safety, or you're dealing with athletic performance, in North America we're probably 10 years behind Australia and the UK in this field. Um, so look look on those sites, and I think you, you, it'll, it'll point you in the right direction. Pat, if anyone wants to reach out to you or discuss anything that you mentioned within the podcast, what's the best way they can do so? Um, really two ways. I mean, I have a Twitter account, which is just at Sleep Sports. Um, I also have a, a LinkedIn account. So jump on my LinkedIn account. You know, I have nearly 7,000 people on that account from uh, sports people from all over the world that I communicate with pretty regularly. So if you want to jump on my LinkedIn account, um, it's 
just Pat Byrne, P-A-T-B-Y-R-N-E. Um, and I'm happy to communicate with you. Fantastic, Pat. I'll make sure to link all that in the show notes. Sounds great. Thank you, James. Pat, I really want to thank you for this uh, profound and very insightful podcast. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and sharing your knowledge and your passion uh, when it comes to sleep research and performance with all the listeners. My pleasure. Anytime. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with Pat Byrne. As always, thank you for listening to the Historic Performance Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast episode or any previous episodes, head over to iTunes to either leave a review or rating. It only takes a couple of seconds and it helps other practitioners discover the show. Thank you in advance and I'll see you guys next week.